Okay, Phil, first one of the God, year. God, loved hearing the recording in progress sound. <laughs> Welcome to Roughly a Podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Boyd, joined by my lovely, talented co-host, Phil Smeralda, who you just heard, who's very excited to be back on the air with us. Uh, before I begin, and I always forget this, make sure to give us as many stars as D. Gordon gave fingers to Gene Segura's face back in 2018, which would be how many, Phil? One. He can know. Well, I guess that's one way to think. <laughs> well, yeah, he gave him the finger. <laughs> I think it's like five fingers balled up in a fist. Okay. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> no, don't give us one star, even if Phil's answer is technically correct. Uh, if you can't tell, this is us officially reporting for spring training, too. We're a little bit rusty. But, Phil, how are you feel- feeling? No, I'm in the best shape of my life. Really? Yeah. Your hair, is, really, in the, no. your hair is in the best shape of, of your life. I've seen some photos yeah. like, recently. I'm starting to gel it back and do that whole thing, but I'm going to get it cut pretty soon, especially before the wedding, you know, definitely needs to come off. Did you, um, were you inspired by Joaquin Phoenix's performance in the Joker? Like what, what, what got you to that point? Maybe some Antonio Banderas, like what do you well, see? Well, did you see how Eugenio Suarez walked into camp today? His hair I, is like down to his shoulders now. I, yeah, I did. Uh, all monochromatic though. The only one color. Yes. Okay. Disappointing. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so what is your inspiration on the hair? Like what, what, what's the vision in your head when you slick it back in the morning? Well, I just want to be like, really like leaning into my Italian heritage, I think. And like, that is the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. So I'm letting the, I'm letting the gold chain hang out of my shirt a little bit more instead of tucking it in. Like I always used to, mm-hmm. I'm just leaning in, you know, it's a new day. It's a new day. I've been watching The Sopranos, as you know. Uh, one one idiosyncrasy that I absolutely love in the show is that every male in that show, before they sit down in a chair, they they pull their pants up. You, you know what I mean? Yes. You know what I'm describing? Yeah, oh, I know exactly. That's like the Italian <laughs> pants pulling like thing. Yeah, I know. My dad used to do that. It, I would forget to do that every time. Like they, uh, I would audition for that show and, and lose it because I couldn't remember to do that. <laughs> Anyways, who's your favorite character before we get into baseball? Oh, we're gonna have a lot of detours around baseball, so yeah. <laughs> why stop now? Um, my favorite character, I there's a lot of potential in AJ. I mean, I'm like three quarters away, so through season yeah, two. I guess let me interrupt you. What season are you in? Three quarters away through season two, I think I'm seven episodes in, and okay. I'm really AJ hasn't done anything yet. He just he just smoked a doobie. He's like questioning the meaning of life. Uh, but I feel yeah. like he he makes me laugh every time he comes on because he's just kind of a, a dopey character. Uh, Christopher is fantastic. Like just just the ultimate like three steps forward, five steps back character. Yes. Um, and it's it's really beautiful to watch. He's hilarious. He's like you hate him, you love him. I, I think I think it's him. Uh, Polly Walnuts is great too, just for the comedic value um so i know this is a cop-out answer because picking your favorite character being the main character but the the character of tony soprano is so fucking good like that could not that that might be the best character ever written in television history very deep mr soprano yeah and and doing it through the therapy lens allows it's like you're with him he's discovering himself as you're discovering him it's oh i meant to i meant to ask you this did you notice now that you're watching the show how many of the like people with tiny little parts in Goodfellas are now hmm. like main characters in the oh, Sopranos? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Doctor Melfi. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, there's redundancy, and the great thing is, is that uh, my wife Abby w- probably would not watch Goodfellas, but we've got her into Sopranos, and now, uh, now we can get into Goodfellas because there's yeah, we got a foot in the door. Yeah, it's like a little entryway. 
does Ray Liotta make an appearance in 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 The Sopranos? God, I wish he did, but no, oh. sadly not. But there is a character who you will. There's a really famous actor who you will be shocked is in that show. He comes in in like middle of season <laughs> three or season four. I can't really remember. Okay, can't wait. Yeah. Um, we're gonna get into baseball in just a second, but while we're talking about Italian people and ergo or by extension italian restaurants we're going to get to Pierre, arizona but i first wanted to take us to tinton falls new jersey because phil in tinton falls there is a restaurant called netty's house of spaghetti which is an italian restaurant and they banned spaghetti netty's house of spaghetti they banned what from their restaurant what do you think that they said no more cannot come into this establishment no more like they're banning a specific thing from an establishment from their restaurant they said nobody mm-hmm. can i kind of gave it away it's a, it's a it's a group of people and it's oh a group of people uh-oh this sounds racist <laughs> it's uh... not racist it's not okay. racist. <laughs> <laughs> which is the least you say, don't paint my italian brothers in the bad <laughs> no, no, no. um this type of group of people guidos maybe no, no, no. I told you not. Re- oh, oh, I, I get well, what you're saying. You're like Jersey Yeah, Shore. like, you know, a Guido doesn't have to be an Italian. Like, a Guido can be anybody. Yeah, so this is a very funny West Coast perception of New Jersey that it's all like that. That's like a very, that's like one sliver of, this, of the state. <laughs> yeah. No, they didn't ban Pauly D and, and those guys <laughs> yeah. from coming in. It's kids under 10 can't eat. Oh, I love that. Can't eat at Nettie's house of spaghetti. You answered my first question, which was, how do you feel about this? But let me read you a quote from a restaurant we love kids. We really, truly do, which of course means we fucking hate kids. But yeah. lately, it's been extremely challenging to accommodate children in Nettie's. Between noise levels, lack of space for high chairs, cleaning up crazy messes, and the liability of kids running around the restaurant, we've decided it's time to take control of this situation. How do you feel about the the quote and the stance of... of I a, wish a, I... I honestly... I wish I had the balls to do that. I mean, <laughs> I think 10 is a... I think 10 is a little bit overkill, but I would say above five years old because at that point you have some semblance of table manners but especially at our restaurants nothing drives me more insane when people are spending two three hundred four hundred five hundred bucks on dinner and they're being subjected to listen to a kid screaming or yelling or running around a restaurant it's horrible i wish i had the balls to do it but i don't so i salute these people and i hope for the best for them (laughs) This creates some problems. Um, one, I, th- I think I've, uh, this has been, um, this is my first reaction and anyone on Twitter who saw this seems to have made the same joke. Uh, a place called House of Spaghetti. Yes. <laughs> you got to change the name if you're going to be anti-kid. I, I guess actually what, my, I guess I need more information. Is this like supposed to be a family friendly restaurant or is it it's scale not, or what? It's, it's four stars on Yelp. It's like a nice, uh, you know, maybe like a, a step down from from your world you know in terms yeah. of in terms of not, like it's it's kind of like the old spaghetti factory yeah or like palomino or something like that exactly yes yeah. yeah so calling yourself house of spaghetti first of all it's just screaming for parents to be like oh yeah this is family friendly for sure yes yes are we going to run into a situation where you have nine-year-olds with fake ids trying to get into the mm. place and are also, you going to have Roves of babysitters flocking to Tinton Falls, New Jersey, seeing that there's an opportunity here to 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 take over some evening shifts. You know what realistically is going to happen, and I know this is how these types of places operate. 
What is that? They're they're not gonna ban if a family comes in, like let's say it's a party of four, it's the husband and the wife and the two kids, and the kids are like four years old and seven years old, they're gonna let them sit and they're gonna let them eat. But the moment those kids start acting up, then the manager mm-hmm. goes over to the table and says, Hey, actually, this is our policy. You gotta go. That's what that's I think that's all this is because I can't imagine they're gonna be turning people away left and right like that. I think it's just ammo, so to speak. I I don't know. I feel like that's that's a worse situation though, is to, to get people in there. Cause it because it's they're not saying banning them from unruly behavior, it's banning them. Like yeah. screw screw your polite nine-year-old. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. he, he can't he can't that's come in. It's like 10 years old, that's like pretty remarkably high, actually. Like I could see doing like anything five and under, because that's when kids don't really have table manners and they could ruin an ambiance, but that would only be under fine dining circumstances and definitely not netty spaghettis what if you just put them in the 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 fridge for like the two hours that they're there is that fine like there's they can't get into too well much you know how there used to be smoking sections and non-smoking <laughs> sections now, why don't yes. you just have a kid section and a non-kid section yeah it's like the mcdonald's play place for yeah. house of spaghetti uh but anyways i thought you would like that that anecdote and i figured you'd have a, a similar stance but I yeah do i do have a similar stance uh, the one thing that saves us at our restaurants is that if people really hate kids and like there's kids acting up or whatever, we do have the bar area that also serves dinner, which is exclusively 21 plus. Mm-hmm. So, oh, oh, Anya just texted both of us. <laughs> and oh, <laughs> did you read her message? Yeah. Just want to let this, hey, this, by the way, guys, this is how dedicated to the podcast I am. My, my fiance is at school with armed suspects on the loose. And I am recording a podcast for you because I got to get this fire content out. And folks, if you are hearing this, it means <laughs> that Anya made it out because I will yeah, not, we're not, I will not post this. Season. Oh, hang in there, uh, my friend. Uh, well, anyways, let's talk some baseball so that if you do have to bust out, you can um, you can do yeah. so. Logan Gilbert has a new splitter. Robbie Ray has mm. a new a new what was secret pitch, but Jerry Depoto spoiled the secret. Also a splitter. What new do you have for us? this year phil what, what have you added to your podcasting repertoire oh you know what's actually going to be wonderful for us to add to our mm. podcasting repertoire is uh statcast new defensive metrics are getting much more um streamlined they're using better data they're using more um like how do you say um you know you know what hawkeye is right we've talked about hawkeye on the podcast yeah the uh, avenger no, but yes, I mean, maybe <laughs> Jeremy Renner. Hey, prayers up to Jeremy Renner, too, by the way. Yeah. Um, Hawkeye is essentially this camera um, technology that MLB has that can track player movements and biomechanics much better, not only from um, a hitting perspective, which is obviously where it's going to be most valuable. And we've met, alluded to this on our Twitter. We're not biomechanical guys. We don't know what makes us swing super good or not super good obviously if there's something glaring like um i think both of us saw Cade marlowe's swing where he opens up super early and we we're both like that's a that's a weird thing or when kyle lewis did that weird back foot like lift off the ground before mm, he yes. swung the bat like any of those glaring glaring things that look very out of the normal we'll be able to pick up on those but we're not as able to pick up on these subtle nuances but Hawkeye is going to kind of change that both from a um, 
hitting perspective and a pitching perspective and a fielding perspective. And that data is going to be made available to the public. So I'm excited to dive into that and see what we can try and figure out. Love it. Yeah, it's uh, we're going to talk on this a little bit, but um, I do feel like the meaning of an infield out is going to improve this year, given yes. that guys are actually going to have to make a lot more movement to get to the ball than they may have before. And it's less about where you were before the pitch started and more about the play that you can make after uh, contact was made. So that's going to be fun, in addition to lots of other fun changes that we'll get into here. So, By the way, I know we're supposed to be doing our five things were five storylines. Yeah. I want to say I'm going to give you a bonus sixth one because it got blown up about 24 hours before we were recording this podcast. And that was going to be the Taylor Trammell versus Jared Kelenic, uh kind of spring training war as to who is going to be the opening day platoon left fielder between the two of them. I think it's fairly certain AJ Pollock is going to be the right-handed portion of that platoon, but it was still, I, I if I had to get estimate, guesstimate where, the organization was leaning. I'm guessing it would have been 70% Kelnick, 30% Trammell. Like if it was tied, they were going to give it to Kelnick. But if Trammell came in and he knocked the doors off uh, in spring training, I think they would have gone with him. So that storyline has gone kaput. Well, Phil, you blew the premise of the episode and my first point in there, but uh, that's, Uh that's, (laughs) that's, that's a okay. Phil is exactly right. That today's podcast, we are going to talk about five storylines each that are interesting to us heading into spring training and uh phil's magic sixth one was my magic first one and that was the uh the idea this pete carroll left field which is like the competition left field you know mm-hmm. pete carroll is like the captain of competition wants wants to engender it as much as possible that's why he strung us along so long with uh russell wilson versus matt flynn and now uh geno smith and drew Locke. and even though you know it look it's borne out that somebody came out well ahead of the other one in there uh, but that has nothing to do with this situation and you described the situation very well in that aj pollock uh newly signed i don't actually think we talked about that on a podcast uh but he's an old guy who mashes against lefties and that's going to be just fine for this situation and then versus righties, you have the uh, the others. And you have Jared Kelenic versus Taylor Trammell, and who you just mentioned is Hurt. And there's also two names that are in there. You mentioned Cade Marlowe, and then Cooper Hummel would be the other one, I think, who has maybe a shot of getting involved in the mix there in the left field race. Uh, but Taylor Trammell, a.k.a. Taylor Tramali, if you know, you know that that's... Yeah, you, you know, yeah. That's a, that's a throwback to one of our early episodes. He has to have hamate surgery. Uh, we'll miss seven or more weeks. Hamate uh, is a little bone in your hand around your wrist, and it comes from the Latin word hamulus, which means what? What do you think hamulus means in Latin? Oh, God. Hamulus. Like meat, maybe? I don't know. Because it's the meaty part of your it's the meaty part of your hand. It means platoon. No way, really? No, it doesn't mean platoon. <laughs> but... But that would be really something if it was. Yeah. It means it means little hook because there's a little hook oh. in in there uh, in that little bone. But anyways, thank you, the doctor. Yeah, this is a golden runway. Now that Tramell is hurt and the other guys that he's competing against are Cooper Hummel and Gabe Marlowe, for Jared Kelenic to secure his place in left field. And if he doesn't, and there's any ambiguity, then like holy shit, we are in. Uh, we are boned. Yeah. <laughs> we are we are boned. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He has to beat out a 28-year-old with 200 major league plate appearances in Cooper Hummel and the 606th overall pick in the 2019 draft. So I believe in you, Jared. Hope you can do it, Jared. Hope you can <laughs> yeah. do it. That's uh that's that's my first storyline. It's just that left field situation. All right. I'm gonna get going with my first storyline then. Um obviously this has kind of been a point that 
has been belabored uh, in the in the more um, in-depth Mariners community, but it's something that I think the general fan is not truly like aware of. There are going to be pitcher injuries. Last year was an absolute anomaly. It's not going to happen again. Anybody who thinks we're going to go wire to wire with George Kirby, Marco Gonzalez, Logan Gilbert, uh, Luis Castillo, and Robbie Ray is wrong. I would bet my entire life savings on that. Um, it just doesn't happen. So there's going to need to be uh, backfill. Um, right now, it looks like the sixth pitcher, if you had to guess, is looking like Chris Flexen, but I'm not sure if Bryce Miller doesn't win that sixth position and Flexen gets sent somewhere else. Uh, it's going to be a really interesting position to see who that next man up, kind of that backfield depth is going to be. Because if, if, if you had to place money on it, you would say the sixth and seventh pitchers are going to get just as much time on the mound as one through five, you know, just by nature of, of how pitching rotations work, how many injuries there are, all of that kind of stuff. You're going to have to have some pitching depth. And what is that pitching depth going to look like going forward? Yeah. And that's an interesting, all off season. We thought Marco or flex, and this is a surplus uh, to be very Mariners to trade out of a surplus and to try and to, you know, help them elsewhere given all the, the crazy contracts that were going out to fourth and fifth starters, you'd figure that those guys would have incredible value and they may have had value, but they hung, hang on to uh, one of them or, you know, to the extra one for a reason. And I think you alluded to it of just like, they are not, they are smart enough to know uh, what would, you know, that uh, you can't make it through a season, two seasons in a row with, with the five, same five starters, even though technically mm -hmm. they did have six starters last year. Cause Matt Brash was, yes. was the, the fifth starter to start out. Actually they had seven, right? Because Luis Castillo came in. Uh, uh, yeah, true. And, yeah. And Flex, so Matt, Flex and Brash, Matt yeah. Brash, George Kirby, Luis Castillo, Robbie Ray, Logan Gilbert, Chris Flex, and Marco. Yeah, they they even last year when we, we didn't miss a single <laughs> pitch due to health, we still used seven starters. Yeah. So we're going to be using more than that. And that's just the reality of the situation. Yeah, and, and that's pretty normal. And you want to protect these guys and like, Gilbert and, and Kirby went above and beyond probably what anyone expected them to in terms of innings last year and whether uh, they are proactively put on the IL or, you know, make it there just out of fatigue. Uh, you can't be surprised if that happens. So you're absolutely right. There will be more than six actual starters um, uh, for, for this year. And if it doesn't happen, then like something very, very odd is going on. My second storyline is um, I'm going to call these guys the phantoms. These were three guys who are basically non-factors or actual non-factors on last year's team, but are going to factor into the situation, at least from an intrigue perspective this year. The three names are Casey Sadler, Evan White, and Tom Murphy. Casey mm. Sadler um, was a, is a non-roster invite. Uh, we'll have to earn his spot for, for this year's team. But reminder, in 2021, Casey Sadler pitched 40 innings for the Mariners. Do you know how many earned runs he gave up in 40 innings? Well, I remember that he had that like incredibly long, no earned run streak that well, how many innings was that in a row? Like 17, 18, something like that. Yeah. I forget, but 40 innings total. Three, okay. 40 innings total. Three he earned runs. Three? Yes. So he <laughs> had a sub one. He had a sub one ERA. Yeah. It was like 0.8 or something. Yeah. It's crazy. He was, he was incredibly effective in that role. 
two years ago. Um, this is, um, I love Casey Sadler. We've talked about the 65 roses, cystic fibrosis thing with him. Mm-hmm. Just a super cool guy. I hope he makes the team for one, the production that he had two years ago to see if he can do that again, but just awesome dude. Casey Sadler, number one, Evan White. Have you heard of Evan White, Phil? Have you, have you do you know this name? You know, probably my favorite guy in the organization, just like from a, from a perspective of how much I want him to be good. He's up there at the top. He's not good. um, Or at least he hasn't been good, but he is, I don't know. The the exit velocities are so real and so enticing and, you know, the speed and the defense is superlative, all those things. So like there's tools there and his profile is so unique you know, he's a, a right-handed fielder, a left-handed hitter, which you hardly, or excuse me, switch that around. He's a left-handed fielder, right-handed hitter, which you hardly ever see because those are the negatives of each thing, right? So yeah. he's an interesting guy. He's unique Funky and player. I like him. Yeah. Funky player. He, he is allegedly basically our backup first baseman, but his athleticism um, and the fact that that's Ty France's job might place him elsewhere if he's on he does he have to make the team is it one of those situations i kind of feel like he like if he's if he's in triple a it's a massive failure at this point ah where would you even where does he even slot in right now i know yeah that's i mean you probably get him to run at third maybe too like that well no he can't because he's he's a lefty oh yeah exactly yeah so you'd have to put him in the outfielder at first there you go and I remember vividly on this podcast when Evan White went down and Ty France supplanted him officially at first base, moving, I think, from Ty was playing second. And Ty France was all of a sudden playing gold glove defense at first. And it's like, if Ty France, who is shaped like a fire hydrant and is maybe the slowest guy on the team, can be a gold glove first baseman, then what is the point of Evan White? And right. But I still think in a vacuum, Evan White's defense at first base is like far superior to France. Not to say France is, France is obviously the better player just because of the hit tool, but in a vacuum, White, I trust more at first base. I love watching him play first base, but I don't love watching him strike out four times a game. So no, that's not fun. We need to uh, uh, very curious to see what kind of run he gets and what he can do with it. Third guy, Tom Murphy. Tom Murphy was raking to start last year before going down with a shoulder injury. And we were like, oh shit, like there's one of the key pieces of our lineup. And it all it did was pave the way for the emergence of the two biggest butt cheeks in all of Seattle and the cakes and <laughs> big dumpers season of uh just magical mystery tour last year. Cal Raleigh became the guy at, at, at catcher. He will be the guy this year, but Tom Murphy back on the team this year is the backup catcher. I think unlocks uh, Cal Raleigh as a DH some days um, can take a day off if he has a broken thumb or whatever the hell he was playing with last year. So I think that's uh it's going to be a positive for the team to have Tom Murphy back this year. Agreed. We'll see what happens with Murphy. Obviously he's a righty who can hit lefties very well, but you're going to be hard pressed to take, if Cal can repeat what he was doing the second half of last season, you don't really want him out against any pitching. No, you uh, needed him right last year. Left. Obviously, you know, especially righties because uh, Tom Murphy's a righty himself, so he wants the platoon advantage against lefties. But even against lefties, I still want Cal getting some sort of run, so maybe it becomes some some sort of thing where when Murphy's catching – Cal's DHing, whatever, that kind of scenario. But that is an intriguing uh, way to see. And then you also have Cooper Hummel in there, who, again, he can catch as well. So we'll see what the rotation of catchers looks like. Luis Terence around, 
right? No, Luis Turin signed with the Cubs. I oh, think. did he? Yeah. Damn it. Horrible. Yeah. He's he's gonna make an All Star game. Yeah, he will. It's... But he signed a minor league deal, so I think if he doesn't make the team out of spring training, I think he gets to elect to be a free agent again. It's so one of those deals. So he might make his way back to us. Okay, let's hope so. Yeah. We'll miss you, Luis. Uh, what is your second storyline? I'm excited to see how the, speaking of platoons, how the infield, the middle infield in specific, platoons shake out. Because as mm. we are right now, you have two lefties in Colton Wong and um, J.P. Crawford in the middle infield, which is rare. Again, they're lefties who both are right-handed fielders. So it's it's odd that both of them uh, bat lefty. But then you have Dylan Moore, who is a right-hander who matches lefties. And it's going to come to a point where one of two things happens. Either J.P. Crawford or Colton Wong show that they do have some serious deficiencies against left-handed pitching, and Dylan Moore becomes a full-time platoon with that one specific player, whether it be J.P. Crawford or Colton Wong. Or neither of them show significant deficiencies, and Dylan Moore rotates with all, and they all three rotate together. Not sure what the final outcome is going to be because both Colton Wong and J.P. Crawford have had seasons where they've performed very well against lefties. They've both had seasons where they've performed very poorly against lefties. So it's really going to be an interesting storyline to watch to see if one of those guys loses more time to Dylan Moore over the other or if it's kind of a true split between them. And uh, do you think that there's a there's a, a another act for Sam Haggerty infielder out there? Or is there that... could be. There could be. Yeah. And Haggerty is another one who hit lefties a lot better than righties. So th- it very well could be. And if that's the case, then there might be situations where it's a Haggerty, Dylan Moore infield, which would be odd, but I, I think it might work. Scott Service's dream is, oh, yeah. is the, 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 the scat backs in, in yeah. the middle of the That shortstop in second. Yeah, it could work. Yeah, we'll see. He, I mean, he played, I think, more in fields prior to last year than anything else. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, and then it just took off. Um, and Haggerty's another guy. And both Haggerty and Moore are, there's been some injury scuttlebutt. I think both guys will be fine long term, but they might be, you know, mid April or late April before they're fully ready to go, which would, you know, uh, complicate things a little bit or, or streamline yeah. things uh, said a different way. My third thing would be the second acts of all of the very important rookies from last year's season. Obviously, Julio Rodriguez um, was was the leader of the pack there, but George Kirby, Cal Raleigh, Andres Munoz. Hold on, I got breaking news. What's what's that? Anya is off lockdown and she is free to go. Okay. I think they caught the suspect. <laughs> oh boy, that could have gone any different ways. There's the Anya, the two different pivot points with Anya, but then there was also <laughs> like baseball breaking news. Yeah, like, I have no idea. Oof, okay, well, uh, glad we can wear the podcast as originally intended without editing it. Yeah. But Julio, George Kirby, Dump, Andres Munoz, Matt Brash, all five guys who made debuts last season, all five guys were incredibly good. Those five were represented three fifths of the Mariners' top five in Fangraphs' war last year, and Munoz and Brash were first and third, respectively, among relievers in war. Despite Brash only pitching thirty innings last year, he was still able to make that much of an impact. Can yeah. any of them do it again? Because I feel like if those guys are just simply as good as they were last year, that is huge. It's not uncommon I- for rookies to take a step down. 
or you know a slight dip in their production before having incredible careers. Look at uh, Ronald Acuna came on like yes. gangbusters second year, a eh, little off, and then has been great ever since. That could happen to these guys, and that would suck. But like long term, everything's groovy. It's just we kind of need these guys to be just as good as they were. Last yeah. Year. Well, here's here's the off season in a nutshell. It's um, if you want to look at the variance on the Mariners roster, and you want to do uh, a scenario where we don't make the playoffs this year it's because, you know, three or four of those guys take that small step back. If you want to do a scenario where we're challenging the Astros for the West, it's because all five of those guys not only didn't take a step back, but actually got better their second year. So really, I'm glad you hit on those guys. And you can even throw Jared Kelnick into the mix on that. Those guys, that young core, it's it is what is going to determine the future of this season whether it's simply the wild card it's pushing for the al west which i think is unlikely or it's missing the playoffs altogether you can throw all those young guys and their development as that central indicator of how well the season is going to go because with guys like robbie ray Ty france to a certain extent jp crawford colton wong you sort of know what you're going to get they're pretty low variance i mean robbie ray didn't have a Cy Young type season, but still he was worth two wins. He's going to be worth around two to three wins again. Those guys are are all kind of just going to be who they are. J.P. Crawford, we're not expecting some huge step forward. Colton Wong, we're not expecting some huge step forward. With Eugenio Suarez, we're just hoping that he can hang on to what he did last year. But with those guys that you mentioned, Kirby, Cal Raleigh, uh, Jared Kelnick to some extent, um, Andres Munoz, Matt Brash, those young core of guys, they're kind of going to be the the whatever happens with them. So they go, so goes the Mariners season in my eyes. Yeah, I mean, this is oversimplifying it, but I mean, definitely you would hope Wong over Frazier is going to be an upgrade, but a marginal upgrade, right? It's not like yeah. we just, it's not like we just added Dan Ugla in terms of offense there at second base. Yeah. And Tay Oscar is going to be, again, marginal upgrade over Hanager when healthy. Yeah, but we didn't get yeah. Hanniger healthy last yeah, year. Yeah, we didn't get a Hanniger healthy. <laughs> and so that's... basically, if if Teoscar is Hanniger, that's great. And then it's kind of like, well, can we expect the same thing out of Gino next year? Probably not. I think he was incredible last year. I, I would hope that you know he's somewhere at least close to that. And then it's 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 the young guys that, that can take a step forward because everyone else, like you said, is I think relatively inelastic in terms of their of their yes. uh, production in terms of what we can expect for them. It's it's the it's this group. If if they are the same, then yeah, probably ninety wins is great. If, if wild if, card, yeah, yeah, and and if if they take steps up, then yeah, we got something, and maybe we can talk about a division. So yeah, we got maybe 95, 96 wins if every single one of those guys takes a step forward. You know, remember these five: Kirby, Julio, Dump, Munoz, and Brash. Uh, if we're talking, throw Kelnick in there too because we got zero production out of left field That's last true. year. That's true because Winker Winker you know gave zero production and. Kelnick obviously gave zero production and Haggerty gave you a little production, but not anything significant. So yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's a big part of that too. For sure. Your third storyline. I mean, this one is, I'm assuming going to bump in with some of yours, but I'm looking at the three rule changes all in, you know, kind of a, a lump sum and how <laughs> they're like five happen. rule changes. It's kind of hard to say that there's exactly, there's like categories, I guess, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I'm just talking about the three big ones. It's the pitch clock, the bases and the, the banning of the shift. Yep. And I want to look at all three of those and it's going to be hard to parse out. I, I, every single person that has been on the radio or that I've talked to or anyone who knows baseball all has the same 
thought that offense is going to be up across the board next year um, because of these rule changes. But what's going to be really interesting is how we parse out what is the most what has the greatest effect? Is it going to be guys stealing more bases because of the larger I, bases? I was thinking about that today of like, it, it, it is going to be a funny experiment because, you know, in, in normal like science, you, you pick one variable, change it yes. and see how that affects. There are so many new things that are going to all be thrown at at once. Uh, and it's going to be very hard to measure. Like you said, any, whatever the success or, or failure of the results are this year, it's going to be very hard to isolate exactly what caused it. Yeah. Could it be that the shift is like banning the shift is like a huge thing, or maybe it's not so big at all. And really offense was up because pitchers aren't throwing as nasty stuff because they don't have as much time to reset between pitches, Yep, all that kind of stuff. So it's going to be hard to parse out, but I think if we watch enough baseball, we'll be able to make our own educated guesses on what was the most impactful of the rule changes. And I think it's going to affect different guys in, in different, different teams and different guys in different ways. I mean, like there's, there's yeah. kind of a, a rule change for every player that you fear, feel is going to to benefit them. I mean, the the banning of the shift, you look right at Cal Raleigh and uh, Jared Kellenick and Taylor Trammell also. Those three mm-hmm. guys were all shifted as lefties 80 plus percent of the time last year in in uh, in their at-bats. That won't be the case. And Gino was actually shift in, it shifted 80 plus percent of the time as a righty. So those guys are, I'm also there. excited to see what kind of shifts teams are going to do now. Cause there's, it's not like teams are just going to stop shifting. They're just going to do weirder stuff. Like Lindsay I Adler, who, who I believe uh, writes for the wall street journal. I believe she covers baseball for there. She was talking in a meet. She was at a meeting today among somebody who, among somebody's who know baseball and like are, are planning out this season. They expect there to be, outfielders dropping down and basically playing that shift defense and then and then that being teams uh willing to hedge the bet that it's going to be an infield in lieu of if they're wrong more extra base hits so basically yeah, expect, that expect put to see you like two outfielders exactly expect to see two outfielder situations um a lot i don't know how early you're going to see these things happen but I think by the end of the season, you're going to see some really funky things start to happen to. uh, Well, And that's what's interesting is because think about the guy who is like the poster boy of the shift, Joey Gallo, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. He would oftentimes get four outfielders against him. So it's like, do you really want to sacrifice one of your three outfielders on the chance that he hits the ball on the ground? Because Joey Gallo tries to put every single ball in the air, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's going to be an interesting year. It's going to be interesting to see what teams do. So I'm excited for that. Yeah, just to to recap that rule, there has to be two guys, uh, two infielders on each side of the of second base, and only four guys in the dirt at all times. Um, so you can't have an infielder uh, go. You, there has to be four guys, so there can't be an infielder playing into shallow right or shallow left, um, which would be interesting. The other uh, ones you talked about the 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 big bags, the the new bases. Those are eighteen inch squares over fifteen inch squares now. The difference of ninety nine square inches, which is pretty crazy. You had three inches on every side. Yeah, it's huge. Ninety nine square inches, uh, which is uh, I think for two reasons. I think safety is one of them. Of like you have just a more bigger surface area for guys to lock onto um, as they're sliding into a base, but then also base running in making it easier, uh, less of a distance in between uh, bases for to increase base running or just increase stolen bases, but then also incentivize a stretch out a single into a double, a double into a triple, uh, which is ultimately good for baseball. So that one I'm excited about um, because I think it is the one that's going to most directly increase more fun plays in baseball. 
I have a question about the bases. I don't even. I'm not sure if you know, but they are white. The bases. The ba- Okay, so but the bases are getting bigger, but mm-hmm. is that expanding the field of play ever so slightly? Because if the bases are bigger, are they are they are the bases in like smack dab in the middle of the line? But now, now like okay, let's say you know you a lefty saying. a lefty pulls the ball foul by like a half an inch. Is that ball now fair? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would think the center of the old base is still the center of the new base. Yeah. So that'll put, I mean, I think it's going to be such a small, like small <laughs> difference, but like all those balls that were an inch foul, now they're fair, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. going to lead to some funky stuff. Uh, the other two, uh, the, the pitch clock is the one um, that whatever quality, whatever baseball effect it has, I think the, the, the only known effect that the pitch clock is going to have is shorter games. That's that's mm-hmm. 100% going to happen. Pitchers have 15 seconds to throw a pitch with bases empty, 20 with runners on. Batters have to be in the box ready with eight seconds left in the pitch clock. So, like, you're going to see it's going to feel a lot faster um, of, of these half innings. It's going to lead to shorter games. The one thing you won't be able to know is how does that affect pitchers, pitchers who are used to having, uh, you know, a full minute to deliver a pitch, pitchers who batters who are used to uh, that kind of cadence, we're not going to know the effect that this change has on, you know, uh, I think average. if I had to guess, I think we're going to see velos drop across the league, past, like past maybe a, maybe a mile an hour, just because you don't have all that rest time to kind of gear up and, 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 and go full bore. You have to get back onto the mountain and throw the ball. You're going to, guys are going to get tight, especially imagine this like long innings yep. where, you know, a pitcher's really laboring. They don't get to just kind of clear their head, walk around the mound anymore they you got to get back up and throw the ball again just envision this scenario and it's it's a classic mariners scenario it's like mid-august diego castillo has come on with a two-run lead we're in arlington it's hot as shit he's already fidgety he's just in one of those laboring (laughs) laboring and has to throw with 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 another 20 seconds like it's it's gonna be wild some of those some of those like snowball bad 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 innings i think are gonna be yeah oh yeah it's gonna snowball on guys fast yeah the last uh rule change i guess there's one more i technically want to cover that's not really a a rule change but a schedule change is that the the uh the teams will be playing every team you you will see the mariners play every single team in baseball uh every other year they will travel to every team in baseball they are going to philadelphia this year very happy about that um, mm-hmm. And that means that they're going to play teams in the division less. They normally play 19 times every every team in the division. So you play the Angels, A's, Rangers, and Astros 19 times. That number is down to 13, which is great because that's really nice. Six less games against the Astros. So it already feels like we play them 30 times a year. Um, is is great. So that's that's one. But then pickoffs are the other one. Pitchers are only allowed two disengagements per plate appearance. And the third time that they disengage, basically hop off the mound has to be a successful pickoff. Otherwise, the runner uh, is allowed to advance from home plate to first if there's no one on or the lead runner gets to uh, move up a base, basically close a block. Yeah. That one so that's why considered a block. Exactly. Uh, Phil, how many disengage- disengagements have you accrued in this this podcast? Or Do you owe me a block? I've, I've disengaged a few times because Anya keeps texting <laughs> me. So I they probably have done like two or three blocks by now. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, that's fine. Uh, totally understandable. What is your? I guess so that was that was my fourth storyline. That was your third. What is your fourth storyline? 
my fourth is going to be not the Mariners specifically, but the Mariners minor leagues. Um, <clears throat> lots been made about the kind of lack of depth at the upper levels of the system, which, you know, a lot of people are okay with because we are getting lots of production from lots of young players. As you, we just mentioned, those five guys who all had very nice seasons last year. Um, but there is a lot of stuff kind of brewing in the lower minors with Harry Ford, Cole Young, um, you know, Gabby uh, Gonzalez, guys like that. And then on top of that, the Mariners now not only have their first round pick, they have their Julio pick and they have a competitive balance pick. So the Mariners are picking three times in the first, first. basically essentially the first round. Mm -hmm. uh, they also just went very um, extreme on one guy named Felnine Celestine in the uh, international free agency period, uh, very highly regarded, you know, Dominican shortstop who probably won't be making it stateside this year. You'll probably will have a chance to see him in spring training on the backfields though. Um, he will be here for that, but he'll probably spend the year in the Dominican summer league. So the Mariners are having a lot of, of young new talent come into the system, whereas they don't have a lot of high level my uh, uh upper level minors guys who are well regarded i think probably bryce miller is is the only guy above double a who's going to be on any top 100 list this year the other one being harry ford but he's going to start at either low a or high a yep so we're Cole, gonna really Cole young too is the other one that people are optimistic about but yeah he is a was in high school last year yeah so we're gonna have to see a lot of development and this is what th that low a high a that's when guys go from unranked to all of a sudden they're in the mid fifties because they just had a great season. I'm assuming that's going to happen to one or two of the young Mariners. I'm hoping for that, but that's a storyline that we're going to have to watch and see how these guys in low a high a, and even to some extent, double a and all the way down to the, to the rookie leagues, how those guys are developing. Yeah. And that is the, um, that's, that's, <laughs> that's the end of Julio's contract, right? Or, or like the middle to yeah. end of Julio's contract guys that are going to be playing hopefully with him at that point. And um, if, you know, we talked about those, those core four core five around, around Julio there in the middle, there's going to have to be another wave of those guys to come because you can't pay everybody if they all are good and guys right. aren't good for very long. So like, you know, this, this is, this matters, right? That we, we made it over the hump and then, the uh, great organizations just continue to do this over and over. Of and I tend to think the Mariners are going to be fine just because they do have those three first round picks. They've hit on a couple of good second rounders in Edwin Arroyo, who obviously was part of the netted Castillo. Yeah. Yeah. The Luis Castillo deal. Um, they, and they've hit on in the international draft uh, or not draft, the international free agency period with Noel V. Marte, <laughs> who was the other part of that and Julio Rodriguez and now Felnian Celestine. And, you know, there's, there's other guys that I'm forgetting that are Gabby Gonzalez. There's uh, Lazaro Lazaro Montes. Montes. Yep. Yeah. So they, they've been doing well there. And I think it's going to keep replenishing the system, but obviously there has to be some um, development going on. And some of these guys are going to have to start popping onto some of these lists or, or it could get, it could get pretty bare and pretty fast. Celestine, I just checked um, in MLB's top international prospects, number two among international yeah. prospects behind. Yeah. Ethan so Salas. he was a great guy. Yeah. Uh, I think Julio was only like number 10 when they got him. Yeah. Who, when Larry Stone writes the book about Julio one day, it's going to be amazing. Yeah. Oh, he's, <laughs> I mean, he's trending towards franchise icon. Uh, he's trending toward, towards baseball icon. At, yeah. At this point. I think yeah. he's already at the, the franchise. 
My fifth storyline, and then we'll let you close it out here, is uh, what will we be shopping for in July? Because trading has been the w- the way that the Mariners acquire talent, right? If, you, if you've noticed, yeah. and it's basically like Robbie Ray, and that's kind of it in terms of like big free agents that these that this team has um has has hauled in over the past in the in this particular regime it's more and more clear that they don't get into that business of signing these long-term free agents because we've talked about this but those deals are long and ouchy and that's that's how they see them right that they there's too much pain involved in there and they don't want to play that game um at least at this juncture it's kind of like getting a, a a snow cone at Carmine's. Not gonna happen. Not not gonna not happen. (laughs) Sorry, we have (laughs) the delicious desserts, but a snow cone is not one of them. So what what are the Mariners going to need? And I think um, I think like just I don't know about the position necessarily, but I think obviously the Brian Reynolds type, just like the guy that's going to help your lineup. However, you you figure out a way to to get him there. A, a, a true backup center fielder, I think is as important. Like who is that guy for the Mariners right now? It's probably Kellenic, which, you know, it's like, is that okay? Are we fine with that? Especially if Kellenic's not hitting, like that's, that's probably a rough situation. I don't know. Like what, what do you envision this team needing come, yeah. come July? My, my assumption is always the same come July for contenders. It's bullpen. You know, yeah. it's always, it's always the number one need for every contender is bullpen. I can't envision a scenario where we're going to need starting pitching, which is generally the number two indicator, you know, or the two, the numbers, the second most in demand thing. And then hitters usually come at, I don't want to say a discount at the deadline because nothing comes at a discount at the deadline, but they come less expensive than, than premium pitching. One thing I do know is that uh, the idea of a July 31st trade, like a deadline, Jeff Passan, you know, uh, blockbuster probably not going to happen either. Like this team just yeah. doesn't do the conventional. They don't do the big signing and they don't do the deadline work. They do like the two weeks before. I mean, that's when Castillo yes. came in. It was like mid July. Right. So it's, yep. it's, uh, it's, it was well before the deadline. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, Carlos Santana was well before the deadline. Um, you know, it's it, like, that's, that's how they operate. So it, it's something they will, they will need something. They will go out and get it. Um, and I just don't know what it is yet, but you you can count on it. All right. Fifth storyline. This one's going to be macro. This one's, I'm going to go big for our last storyline. Is this the year that baseball becomes the number one sport in Seattle? Now mm. there's a lot of things going for the Mariners this year. We've, we've talked about this before, haven't we? Yeah. But this specifically this year, the stars are aligned. Yeah. First for sure. and foremost, first and foremost, you have Julio Rodriguez. Just we, we talked about potential franchise icon, potential face of baseball, all that stuff, whatever. Second thing, and this is not to be undercounted, we have the All-Star game this year. That is something that brings a lot of people who are traditionally not baseball fans. And national media attention. Yeah, and national media attention. Number three, the Mariners are good, and they're going to be pushing for the playoffs again. Now, I can envision a scenario where the Mariners get off to a hot start. They have the All-Star game. They get through September. They're pushing the Astros, and the city – really comes out behind the team and that I I don't know how much it would affect ownership decisions on spending and all of that kind of stuff. I could see a scenario though, where that matters in, in not just in like, Oh yay, How cool is it that everyone likes the Mariners? It matters in more of a, the ownership knows now that this city has the team's back and is willing to spend 
X amount more. Maybe it's 5%, maybe it's 10%, maybe it's 30%. But if they see tangible results with the city's support, I could envision a scenario such as that. If that team, just imagine it's like a September, even August, where they go 18 and 8 in the month, mm-hmm. and T-Mobile's average attendance is like 36,000 Yeah, in that time. How could you not like that? Yeah, how could you not? You'd have to be the most cold-hearted person on <laughs> earth to like not spend more that's, on that. That's team, what you know? it's for is is to yeah. do that and to build build that. And at that point, then it's just like yeah, you're just throwing throwing coal into the fire at that point to, mm-hmm. to keep keep this going and and to take that next step. So yeah, I mean, I I I, I think that that's you know, there's been a lot of consternation about this this front office's willing to, willingness to spend and this ownership group's you know tight purse strings and all that. Um, I've maintained the hope that if they see the the proof of concept that they would they would do it and and do what they need and you know uh, I would have thought that last year <laughs> indicated some of that but maybe there's more proof needed and like hey that's that's their prerogative but um yeah but this year if not now when you know yeah, like you it, got the all-star exactly. game you got a young good team you got all these stars aligning if the team comes out and does what they're capable of I can't envision a scenario where I'd be happy with ownership or the or or the front office or anything where after the season they say well we like our team no if you see that you're you're gonna have to supplement it see now we're talking about independent things because that scenario can still happen and then the other question which was your first question is like where and this matters so so much less than what we were just describing but like can the mariners become seattle's team and that's going to be interesting because the the seahawks position is um, I think they're ahead of schedule based off of what happened yeah. last year. Uh, also, how how legit was what happened last year is a different different question. But then the other thing that happened was that uh, our alma mater kind of went nuclear last year. Yeah, created an, an intrigue in college football that hadn't really been. I mean, you know, I think I would call the Seattle like a, a B market for college football. And this past year, it like got into B plus A minus t- territory. Yeah, right? I mean, I you know it's intense when I'm starting. <laughs> you care. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's I mean, and look, look, rising tide lifts all boats. And like, you know, it's it's there there, there can be uh, multiple uses of people's entertainment time and dollars. But um, for the Mariners to get to that, I think that they had it last year because it I mean, in October, it was, it was them. I know I'm biased and I'm not the right person to ask this question because I don't really care too much about football but I, and I, how much I love baseball. But just the energy surrounding the Mariners, that that was bigger than the Seahawks this year, wasn't it? I mean, from, from you, yeah. who's like, who likes both sports like pretty much equally or, or thereabouts. Like the Mariners had more energy around them, right, than the Seahawks. Like the Seahawks, they were a nice story, whatever. They were ahead of where they were supposed to be. Gino yeah. uh, uh, Smith was was good and all that. But it wasn't like that exciting of a season, was it? Whereas the Mariners was like, you hang on every single moment. No, the the, the Mariners was like the last 45 minutes of Goodfellas. And the, it was yeah. <laughs> it, it was off the rails. Insane, beautiful, like, yeah. And and. I think that's the, it, it. This city like hadn't been reminded of what that can feel like a pennant race in a really long time, and I think mm-hmm. that like not April baseball isn't like that. May baseball isn't like that. But by the end of the season, it can get rolling to a a temperature that few other things in sports can can 
match up with because you play every day. There's there's and another there's the another playoffs, one the man. next day. Yes. I we this was like the first playoffs I really remember feeling yeah. like I don't I I 2001 like yeah I remember vaguely. I don't like there wasn't it it was the first of my like cognizant life, let's say that. The Blue Jays series like I uh, and then the 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 just like his like heroin like high of that and then followed and by then like, nothing and then nothing happened after that no, <laughs> <nothing>. <laughs> but it was it's over fun man i just got a little taste i'm like an addict i need more now yeah oh my yeah. god yeah and to think to think that this sport is just the and sports are just like this like the murders could have another 90 win season miss the playoffs this year like yeah that right now if you look at fan playoff odds that just came out they are projected to not make the playoffs like yeah whatever yeah, it's yeah. screw it. Screw it doesn't matter. But like, just just you know, it's oh, on the t- one it's on the little t- note about the one little note about the projection systems. Do you know Pakoda has been under on the Mariners five years in a row? I think Pakoda has some sort of anti-Mariners bias. Yeah, uh, Pakoda is run by John Heyman. Yeah, <laughs> must <laughs> that, be. That's his analytical service. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I mean, I don't get me wrong. I don't mean to hand wave the projections. They're important and stuff, but like. This is my old school mentality of like, sure, projections are so good, but I mean, projections are always constantly changing. It takes one little, it takes two weeks to change projections. Like, remember when the Mariners went on a 14 game win streak? That, sure how many, how many percentage points did our playoff odds change? Probably like 50% in, two, in the course yeah. of two weeks. So, and they're what, useful, but. You know what a playoff, playoff odd projecting system can't, can't measure, Phil? What's that dog in somebody? <laughs> it can't take an x-ray to somebody's chest and yeah. see if there's a live pit bull in there. That's that's what it can't do. Oh, yeah, dude. And we got to have that dog this year. I think we're going to have that dog in us this year. Uh, what... Who's who's the most dog on the team? I think Dump is is your reigning dog. Yeah, he's he's got to be the dog. He's, Especially because he was playing with the broken finger and everything. Yeah, he's got the championship belt with the with the pit bull's face on it. It's it's yeah. it's him for now. I mean, Julio's up there for sure, but like yeah. in, in October, it was it was it was Dumptober, maybe. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know who else kind of has that dog? Who? George Kirby. I was just gonna say he was gonna be my guy because like coming into that Blue Jays game, having never pitched in relief. <laughs> pro career and matter. then coming in and shutting him down that was dog and then the astros game he was that yeah, was yeah. insane yeah. Uh, striking out striking out altuve and yelling at him i mean hell yeah that's the i think this might be the year logan like really defines the dog like here's here's a, here's a question for you of of the mariners uh for like ace worth ace-ish starters gilbert yeah uh, gilbert kirby castillo and ray who finishes mm-hmm place them in terms of Cy Young finishing this year okay I think not, not where they'll still... not that where they'll actually finish but yeah like among yeah yeah on the team on the yeah. team so I think Castillo is still the top dog would you agree with that until proven otherwise yeah yeah I think Castillo is still the top dog number two I know this is going to be controversial but I really think this year Logan takes a huge step forward I don't know why I'm just feeling it I feel it in my bones like splitter. I'm feeling like a 2.7 ERA. If this if the splitter's a thing, because yeah, like the, we talked about this ad nauseum last year of just like if he could just locate another pitch, what he could do. And yeah. if it's a thing, 
then yeah. Because the fastball's so good, man. His fat, but the problem is he just pounds it, pounds it, pounds it, and then guys get used to it. Yeah. And then I go George, and then I go Robbie. It's it's really hard to distance ourselves from how we saw Robbie at the end of last season, but I kind of feel like a big bounce back year for Robbie is in play. Guy, if if Robbie has a huge bounce back year, that that rotation is nasty. Yeah, I mean it, it it's nasty even if he's just as good as he was last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. And that was a, a down year. For I'm just him. never gonna be able to get that image <laughs> no out of my head of him jogging in from the bullpen and Jordan <laughs> on the iPad. I don't care if he doesn't give up a run all year. I'm just never going to be able to remove <laughs> that from my mind. It's it's a it's an indelible, seared into a brain cell image. Yeah, that, that fucking iPad. Yeah, and <laughs> the kid crying right beforehand. Oh like, my god! Yeah. God, man, I remember everything about that. I haven't, by the way, I have not watched a single bit of that since. I haven't rerun it or anything, but I just remember every single moment. I can tell you each pitch in the sequence. Like I just know it's like it's seared into my mind. I need have you ever seen that movie Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless yes. Mind? Yep. Okay. I need that procedure done on me where they take that out of my brain. You know what's funny is that I remember I'm right there with you. Game one, you know, not not play by play, but it's it's in there, all, all the moments of it. Game three all the way in there game two i have nothing I, yeah game two was just kind of a weird game we were actually winning that game though yeah then, i don't like, but i don't i don't remember any details i have i have yeah. no uh, guilt logan started right no it was castillo oh yeah and he was logan nails. started game one logan yes. was and logan was fucking good yes. logan pitched really good and then and, C- seawald and ray yeah yeah yeah, yeah. maybe maybe <laughs> Actually, you know what about game one was the most upsetting, though? Andres Munoz, we were up like 7-3, right? And then Andres Munoz gave up a fucking massive bomb to Alex Bregman, Bregman to make yeah. it seven to, to make it 7-5. to five. Yeah. And that was in the eighth inning. But Munoz was on just – he was gassed. He was like – he was yeah. tired and he shouldn't have been out there. But we really didn't have a better choice. And that's what that's what happened. We'll make this promise, folks, that if, if the Mariners go 15 games above 500 at any point this season, we will relive game one. We will we will, yeah. we will, we will do a watch along or something to, to this to, to allow ourselves to be there. But uh, we need some distance first. Yeah. Well, yeah, we need to make sure everything's going good in other Mariners stuff, like so we can like handle this drama. Yeah. Well, so that that's our vow to, to you guys. All right, this is great. I'm I'm fired the hell up about this season. Um, if that hasn't been obvious to the listeners already, um, just just everything you said about the end of last season, I you know the, getting to that level of energy is hard, but um, the excitement, the anticipation, just to see Julio play again, like yeah, it's gonna be amazing. It, it's it's hard to produce baseball. And down to, you know, to Julio's. That, but... I feel bad for saying this because it sounds like I'm taking it for granted, but Julio's Julio. What I love about baseball the most is like the unexpected guys rising through. Like I love the Sam Haggerty stories or the Dylan Moores. I'm hoping like we get a Cooper Hummel type ascent to Abraham Toro. You love Jose Jose Lopez in the all-star game. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But those, you know, those are the guys that make baseball fun too. Like it's fun to watch the stars, but it's also fun to watch the the guys trying to make their way. If it was about the stars then the angels would win 120 games a year. Like that's, you know, it's, 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 very much not about those guys you know they're they're great but um you know they, they can only do so much yeah it's it's gonna be a good one and uh, we'll be here 
roughly every week throughout the season to uh, to guide you along through it here. We'll probably take two weeks off, I think, before we hop back on and talk yeah. a little spring training at this point. But this is a little primer to get us going, wet, wet the appetite heading into uh, to Arizona here. Let's uh, end this how we always do, bike ride hydro. Do you have a bike ride this week? I, I don't know if I... I actually this. don't. I mean, what is what has changed fundamentally? Like, I've I've got one that, that I think okay. you, you can hop onto. Um, so we have uh we have a promo code that um. We, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, this is both of our bike rides. Yeah, we have a promo code that we offer for uh, our friends at Elm Coffee Roasters, and the promo code is roughly as in the name of this podcast R O U G H L Y. It gets you twenty five percent off of your first order of coffee from Elm Coffee. Uh, their coffee is delicious. They love the Mariners. They love us. We love them. Everything is great there. I checked in with our friend Brendan at Elm uh, to see how we did in terms of promo codes this year. And he let me know that uh, we had, <laughs> we're going to call him the promo code bandit. Uh, yeah. Had, so the, the the code only gets you 25% off your first order of, of coffee, which is totally understandable. 25% is, uh, is a hefty discount to use every time. So it's only your first order, but we've had someone use the roughly code five different times for five different email addresses. <laughs> Five different email addresses sending to the same physical address. Uh, just he loves this. Whoever this person is, loves their coffee, and they are, you know, um, being resourceful, I guess. So, if you're listening right stop now, doing that. Don't do that. <laughs> stop, stop doing that. Just pay the extra three bucks or whatever for the for the yeah. bag of coffee. We're kind of proud of you for your resourcefulness, but it's an, enough is enough. Promo code bandit, yeah. You've stolen enough. <laughs> yeah, get the get the grounds out of your backpack. Give them back yeah. and and get on with your life. So yeah, that's a good bike ride. That is a good bike ride. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of remarkable when you really yeah. think about it. Like for for what this podcast is, which is essentially our hobby to talk about our, our one of our favorite things, that we have a promo code for the podcast, and that someone is abusing that promo code <laughs> <laughs> to get free coffee is. Oh, it's just, it's, it's just really beautiful when you think about it. Yeah. But we like our sponsor and we don't want them to drop us. So stop exactly. doing that. Yeah. yeah. Even, <laughs> even though if, if this continues, Elm, it is not our fault. Yeah. Okay. We cannot control this bandit. We don't even know who they are. So that, sorry, that's, we'll take that up with local authorities. Do you have a hydro though? Yeah, I actually do have a hydro. I have a feeling it's we have Dave the same. Sims. Oh. Dave Sims Twitter. <laughs> yeah, the Dave Sims Show is a great Twitter account. It's yeah, really hard. It's, it's really hard to ex- it's really hard to explain what you get out of it, but uh, unless you're like really into Twitter culture, like I know you and I are, like we understand the Twitter culture, like you wouldn't think it was funny, and you no. wouldn't probably even understand it. But if you know about Twitter culture, he is just the best on there. He really is, and it. it it kind of almost reads like a drill account sometimes. Yes, like, totally. <laughs> like, it's like, why are you talking about this? Um, the best was, Dave, are you watching The Last of Us? No. <laughs> only because he tweeted about uh, the young deaf actor who is in The Last of Us. <laughs> Sims had no idea that he was in The Last of Us, just <laughs> he was playing hockey. And then uh, Mama's home. <laughs> We're losing it. We're losing it. <laughs> and then... Someone asked him, like, oh, hey, are you watching The Last of Us? And he just says no. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, my hydro goes to another Mariners broadcaster, Aaron Goldsmith, for staying home. We have not yeah. talked about this on the airwaves here, but Aaron Goldsmith uh, very publicly was given the opportunity to, to take his hometown 
St. Louis Cardinals broadcasting job and he turned it down and said, I'm going to uh, stick in Seattle because they have something special building here. And it was a beautiful moment in an off season. And it kind of felt like the biggest free agent signing that we had uh, came yeah. in, that, in that way because um, friend, was, friend of the podcast, Aaron Goldsmith, in fact, the only guest in, uh, in roughly podcast history, Aaron Goldsmith, he'll be back for the hundredth episode. He promised. And if he doesn't do that, then, We'll hate him again, but no, and it, it, totally yeah. kidding. Aaron is fantastic, and um, just it was it was preemptively painful to lose him to the Cardinals. But you totally would have understood if he did it. And the fact that he didn't do it speaks to I think something that has been tapped into in this past couple of years of like this is uh, we're this is a real on, place to watch baseball. We're working on some. We're working on something really cool, and for us to feel that, and for someone like Goldsmith to feel that, is is um, who's a total outsider to Seattle. You know, it's it's um, it's it's pretty cool to 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 know that it's it's palpable like that. Agreed. Okay, that's that's one in the books for 2023, folks. We will uh, be back in a couple weeks, as promised. Uh, enjoy the the grainy cell phone videos of whatever we get happening in Peoria and uh, Phil. I hope you I hope your under nine policy at Carmine's proposal goes over well, and and we'll talk soon. Yeah, I'm just happy that Anya is alive. Talk soon. <laughs> Me too. Yeah.